you turn your Bibles to Romans, that's where we are today. Uh, we did have a big umbrella here for a while, and the umbrella had all of these words hanging off of it, and, and we were trying to get across the idea that, that when we use the word saved, uh, we're, we are communicating a large word. It's a simple word. It's a small word. We use it as Christians all the time. We sing about it. We have all these kinds of interactions with it, but we, uh, really, it's, it's a quite a big word. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it, it describes all of the different things that God has has done for us, and we are now transitioning out of that uh, focusing just on saved and focusing more on the giftedness of God. And so we have a, our Christmas mantle here with our Christmas stocking to try to communicate the idea as Romans chapter 8 is focused on the gifting that God has given us outside of salvation. So we go through this process where God saves us, he justifies us, he sets us up, and now he is going to pour out even more of, of his giftings and his love and his life. And so if you would uh, turn in Romans chapter 8, that's where we'll be today. When we think of this season, we often think of giftedness or being given gifts. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that salvation itself is called a gift. Um, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the nature of the season. In fact, that's the nature of God's disposition toward us. We often have, and I think it's because Christians poorly communicate sometimes, um, we often have this idea of God as kind of like this great spirit in the sky that's waiting to pour down his wrath upon us. And that isn't at all, I hope that you have seen throughout the series, that is not at all who God is or what God is like. God is not a taskmaster waiting to pour down his wrath on us. In fact, God is a God of gift and love. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. He says that God allows his sun to shine upon the evil and upon the good. He allows the rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. That God's goodness is being poured out upon everyone, even those people who don't recognize it or claim it. If you're here today and maybe you're wrestling with your faith or you're not sure you really believe in God or maybe you've already decided and you don't believe in God at all. God says, I'm still pouring out my gifts upon you. I'm still giving you life. I'm still giving you the breath in your lungs, the sun and the sky, the rain that allows the crops to grow. So there is always a reason for us to give thanks and to show love toward God. And for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be focusing on the gifts that God has given us. The first one um, being union with Jesus. Union with Jesus. Now the interesting thing about gifts... um, when I say, when you think of Christmas, think of all your Christmases past, or maybe even birthdays, you throw those in too. What is the best gift you ever received? Think about that for a moment. When I say that, the best gift you, gift you ever received, what gift, what comes right to your mind? For me, I was maybe eight years old, maybe ten, somewhere in there, and it was the Nintendo. Oh, man. I wanted that Nintendo. All my friends had Nintendos. I'm the only schlub in the whole school that's got... No Nintendo, and I'm dying for the Nintendo. I'm begging, I'm laying hints, you know, uh, writing it on things and just putting it up around the house, hoping that somebody will get the impression, like, we need to get this kid a Nintendo. And I remember getting that, I don't remember very many gifts in my life, but I remember opening that thing up, and there it was, and oh, the glory, right? Oh, the glory. And, you know, the interesting thing about gift giving is that it requires certain things. It requires somebody to give the gift and you receive it, And once you receive the gift, what are you supposed to do? 
Save thank you. Yes, exactly. Somebody is raising their children right. Well done. <laughs> Say thank you, right? And then what's the next thing? Use it. Exactly. Plugged it up to Grandma Noakes' TV, and I was lost for hours in Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and that little laughing dog who you just want to shoot so bad, but you can't. I started thinking about Duck Hunt. I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, so, so here, what I find interesting about people, and, and this, this is true, I think, of all people, and Christians included, is that we have t- we all have this talk about God's gift and God's love, and yet so often uh, we say, no thanks. Even as Christians, we say, uh, no thanks. We don't receive the gift. Uh, we, we, we say, I-, I need to earn it, or I need to work for it, or, or maybe even we just reject it because we don't feel like we, we deserve it. Whatever it is, we don't receive the gift, and God is offering this gift, and we just say, no thanks. So often as Christians and, and people in general as well, we receive the gift, but we never say thank you. We say things like, well, I deserve it. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I know, I, I know you know, I'll go to heaven, or I know things will be okay because I'm a good person. What's the root of that? I deserve this, right? I deserve it. I'm good enough. I've met the criteria. I'm okay. It's fine. I deserve it. And the scriptures throughout say, no, 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 you don't. It's a gift, and God wants you to receive it. He wants you to be thankful for it. And the thing that I think that lays right at the Christian doorstep, our most terrible indictment is this. We don't enjoy it. We don't use it. We don't give thanks for it. We don't, we don't revel in it. We don't love it. We sort of say, okay, God saved me, great. I put it on the shelf. Thank you. We're moving on now. I've got Monday morning facing me. And, and, and what I hope to get across throughout the next four weeks and then, of course, culminating in Christmas is this. Enjoy it. You have been given such great and incredible gifts through salvation and then especially through union with Christ. You have something that other people in the world Never have, never will have, never will even want to receive. You'll have, you have something that, that generations past wanted. We read this in Hebrews. Hebrews says, if you could only understand how long people wanted to see Jesus, and now you have him, are you enjoying him? Are you utilizing that gift? Romans 8, I want to read uh, just the whole section, and then we'll kind of walk through it. Romans 8, verses 1 through 11 Therefore, if, uh, therefore, okay, start over. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those that are in, and you can underline or circle or box that word, in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind... For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, 
You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. This, te- this text teaches many things. Uh, overarchingly, though, I want to talk about how it describes our union with Jesus, our connection to uh, Jesus. Notice the first statement there in verse 1. We who are in Christ. That's a weird way of talking. Um, uh, Laura and I have been married for, for some time. <laughs> and... Um, Hey, 12 years, who knew? I think that's, is that right? I'm pretty sure that's right. I, I was thinking 12, but I wasn't positive. And I was like, if I say it, she's going to hear it. And then it'll be wrong. And then I'll be in trouble. But I'm always in trouble, so nothing's new. Anyway, she is not here, which is why I'm pointing to her seat, which is there. She's not here. And she's only, we've only been apart for about a day. Um, and I don't, I don't get lonely. Like, I don't get lonely. Um, I don't know that I've really ever been too lonely. I, it's just not a thing that for me. But not having her around, just sort of, I sort of miss her. Like, it's just, she's such a part of my life that you just, you like notice something's different. Something's off. We have a relationship, a very tight relationship. And yet, I would never be, in her, like I'm not like, it, it, that's just a weird way of talking about relationships. And so something unique, something is different here that is happening when we talk about being in Christ, dwelling in him, being connected to him. And I want you to notice how often this happens in the text. And here I've got it listed here. In verse 1, you are in Christ. And then verse 9, you are in the Spirit, And then the second half of verse 9 there, the Spirit is in you. And then the last, uh, verse 10 there, Christ is in you. And this kind of functions like a little chiasm, right? So there's the you in, you in, and then the Spirit in, and Christ in. This is uh, one of the ways that we could talk about this then, is that there are two ways that we could understand being in Christ. And the first is practical. And by this, I mean we know the mechanics, uh, we'll, we'll, as we talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about the different things that we can describe, we can understand. And yet, there's also another sense of this, and that is mystical. Uh, and mystical, don't go too far on me. I'm not talking about like New Age, Madame Cleo, Oprah's weird life channels, the secret stuff. I, I, I mean, we can't describe it. We don't have either the framework to understand it, or we don't have the words to describe it. And I feel like I've already talked too much about marriage, but it's sort of like describe, describe being in love. Well, I mean, you can describe some of the effects of it. You might be able to describe some of the feelings, but unless you've ever been in love, you don't really know what it's like, right? I mean, it's just, it's a mystery, and, and, and putting it into words is a difficult thing. And so there are two elements of being unified with God. The gift of salvation produces a unifying uh, nature between us and Jesus Christ, and it is practical, and it is also mystical. And I would divide it up this way. The first section we'll talk about the practical, and then we'll move into the, uh, into the more mystical thing. We won't spend as much time about that because the words don't capture it. But I'd encourage you to look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. This word here, condemnation, means literally to describe someone as guilty. That there is a verdict that is delivered and the person uh, is guilty. And here it says, if you're in Christ, there is now no one who says, Paul... 
is guilty. Now, we could say Paul is guilty because we all know Paul, right? And we know he's definitely guilty. But being in Christ, something new has happened. Something has transpired. It is a gift. You are now unified with Christ. And so as we talked about the propitiation, the imputation, the justification, all of those big fancy words, go back into the website and you can hear those sermons. Um, Those things are now applied to Paul in such a way that now being in Christ, being unified with Christ, is to say there is no condemnation because Jesus is the pure, spotless lamb. Remember John the Baptist. Jesus is walking along, and and John the Baptist just shouts out, which had to be like disarming and weird to all the people around, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And everybody's, what what are you talking about? What's going on? But he describes there Jesus as a pure, spotless lamb. Uh, Last week I issued a challenge to binge listen or binge read a book of the Old Testament. Anybody take me up on that during the week? I had like a six-hour drive, and so there was lots of Leviticus going on in my car, which might sound boring, but wasn't. It was, it, I was, it was interesting. And what was so interesting about it is how meticulous it was in describing the kind of animal that could be sacrificed. The lamb had to be perfect, had to be the perfect representation of the lamb. Like, there could be no blemish, it couldn't be lame, it couldn't have like a weird black spot. It had to be the perfect, perfect example of a lamb. Same thing with the dove. The best dove you could get your hands on. That's what goes in there. And again and again in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the perfect, spotless lamb. The one who became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God taking away, washing away, giving us this gift. And so it says here, now there's no condemnation for those who have been unified with Jesus because being unified with Jesus means all of those things that were Jesus's, he applies to poor, guilty Paul. So there is now no condemnation for him. Now, what struck me too about this is that this is the primary work of the devil, we have this uh, character throughout the Bible, and he's called various things, but most of the time he's called Satan. And this word Satan, uh, when, we think of, when I think of the devil, what do you think of? What do you think he does? What does he do? Roars like a lion. He's, he's, a, he's a tempter. We think, often think of, of somebody who, who tempts us to do things, at least that's been my experience talking with church people. We often think of him as being the one who tempts. But the thing I've learned about myself and about, well, all y'all and everybody else, is that we don't really need a lot of help from the devil. We got this pretty well in hand. We can be awful to each other, can't we? The drop of the hat. Just be awful to each other. And so... Um, one of the interesting things about primarily through the Bible is that Satan isn't a tempter. Satan is an accuser. Somebody said that. Was that you? Um, uh, uh, that he's an accuser. In fact, the word Satan itself means uh, accuser. And so this isn't so much a name as it is a job title. The prosecuting attorney who says, Jordan is guilty. Right? That's, 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 that's his job. And so when it says here no condemnation, I just was immediately struck by how interesting it is that we often think of the thing that is most uh, dangerous to us is temptation, the tempter, um, those kinds of things. But I often think we don't, we don't think hard enough about how condemnation works in our lives. Like the voices in your head or the voices from other people even who say, you aren't worthy, you aren't good enough, God could never forgive that. 
God couldn't love you. God couldn't uh, save you. What are you doing even talking about these things? Those are not words that God applies to you. Those are not God's words to you. What are God's words to you? Justified, saved, loved, forgiven, called. How interesting is it that God has looked upon you and he has called you. He said, I have a purpose, I have a plan, I have something I want you to do uniquely and only you can do it in the church. If you aren't involved in the church, the church is missing something because you have something to offer uniquely gifted only to you. Without you here involved, we are not complete. It's incredible what God has said about you. And so all of those condemning thoughts, all of those condemning voices, what I want you to do is I want you to use this verse against them and say, no, 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 no. There is now how much condemnation? We, good, let's try to, like, I, more, more oomph. Like, this is good news. We're, we're, this is, you just got the NES. You just got that Nintendo, right? There is now how much condemnation? None, right? No condemnation. And so what do we stand before one another? We stand together, sort of leveled at the foot of the cross because we're all sinners in need of grace. And God has said, I'm giving to you all the grace you will ever need. Now what? Go give it to somebody else. Go give it to somebody else. Don't take that gift. Share that gift. Enjoy that gift. Be a part of that gift. Verse uh, 5 really gets at this. Verse 5 says, For those who, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their, thing, their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now Paul is not setting up a sort, some sort of like platonic dualism where like the body is bad and we're waiting for our, our flesh to slough off so the Spirit can fly away uh, um, to the great spirit in the sky or something like that. He is identifying the things that tempt us and the things that tempt us are our passions, our own desires that go astray from God's will. And he calls this the flesh and so what should we do? We should set our minds on the things that are of God, the things that are of the spirit rather than the things that will please me right here, right now that are outside of God's Will And so when we have unity with God, when we are connected and unified with Jesus Christ, there is a putting off of the old self and a putting on of the new self. A putting off of things that used to be a part of my life that are unholy, unclean, unrighteous, and a putting on of holiness. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Consider that for just a second. That might be even sort of mystical in some senses, a mystery, that the spirit of the holy God is the same spirit that dwells in you. So how holy ought you be? And so this is the call of the text here. Romans uh, 8, 6 is driving this even further. Let's take a look at that verse. The next verse, verse 6. For those who set the mind on the, uh, on the flesh are, is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is, and I I love this, not only life, but also peace. 
To set the mind on the flesh is death. The wages of sin is death. When we, when we give ourselves and sow ourselves into our passions, it's death. But if we set our mind upon the things of God, it is life and it is peace. When we spend a lot of time with people, they begin to, to rub off on us. You, you have this experience in life. You, you spend a lot of time with people and they begin to, you begin to take on their characteristics. Again, Laura and I, another good example. Uh, uh, she is super sensitive and I am not. And so over the years, we've begun to rub off on each other. I don't make her cry all the time because I'm an insensitive jerk. Um, because she's rubbed off on me and softened me, and thank God she has done more changing of me than I have of, of her. But that's just sort of natural about relationships, isn't it? That when you connect with somebody meaningfully and regularly, you begin to take on some of their characteristics more and more and more, their priorities, their thoughts, and you, you begin to share experiences. And the same thing is true of, of God through the Spirit. And the same thing is true in terms of our own lives for you young people or those of you who are who are dating, I would lay this uh, warning and college students who are home, hey, welcome home. Um, Lay this at your feet and say, be very, very careful who you call friends. Not who you offer love to, not who you offer kindness to, not who you're you're gentle with or meek with or humble with. That should be across the board, especially toward our enemies. But those people who are pouring into who are pouring content into your life, be very careful about those kinds of people and make sure that they are the kind of people who are pouring the content into your life that will make you more like Jesus. Which is why I encourage so much for you guys to be gathering together in our small churches, getting together in small groups, going out for lunch, meeting people within the church that we are pouring good things into one another so that we can go out into the world and pour good things into other people who, who, who aren't receiving those things. Be very careful. For those who set their mind on the flesh is death, but those who set on their mind uh, on the spirit is life and peace. Jesus talks about this uh, in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 6. He talks about, well, he warns us. He says, don't be worried about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. How many of you are worried about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear? Some of you are here and truthful. Most of you are liars because I know you're worried about it. You checked your bank account, right? We're worried about retirement. We're thinking about our 401ks. You're thinking about your children or you're thinking about where is this? We're all thinking about these things. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. In fact, he goes one step further. He says, this is what pagans think about. And here he doesn't mean to insult people. He's just simply drawing this. The, the, that was the language that was used then to say those who are a part of the Jewish faith and those who are not. And today I think it would probably be taken pejoratively, but it's not meant to be. Uh, it's just simply describing those who follow Jesus or who follow God as described in the scriptures and those who don't. He says pagans run after those things. They are worried about tomorrow. But what do I want you to do? He says seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and then everything else. All of these other concerns that you have will be taken care of as God wills it. Because you are seeking first his kingdom. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of itself. That's true. When you get to tomorrow, it'll have the same amount, right? Each day has enough trouble for 
its own. If you are in union with Jesus, imagine for a moment God has taken you. God the Father has taken you as a spouse. You're married to God. God Almighty, God the creators of heavens and earth. God, what are you worried about? You worried about food or drink or clothing? The, the God who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, as the, as the psalm says. No, we're not worried about any of those things. And yet, what does the scripture say again and again and again? You are unified. There is union between you and God at a much deeper and eternal level than simply marriage, which is here for, you know, 20, 30 years or more or less, right? But you are connected to God forever, so he has his eye on your needs. Non-believers are worried about tomorrow because they only have themselves to provide for tomorrow. There is no hope for a better tomorrow because what is your only hope? Your only hope, if there is no God, your only hope is uh, that people are suddenly going to get better than they are now. Now, I, I'm, I don't know you call me a history buff, but I've read a few history books. And so far over the past 10,000 years or so recorded history, people have not gotten better yet. I'm not expecting that to change tomorrow. I, you might, but I am not. And so what is your hope then? Your hope is that maybe I can, I can manage it. Maybe I can you know, save up enough money or maybe I'll be set for life. Maybe I can, maybe I can hit it big at the, at the casino. I forgot the name of the casino that I drive past on the way to land. What is that casino? Firekeepers. What a great name. Firekeepers. I guess it's not because if you keep, well, anyway. You only have yourself, but in Jesus we have everything we need. And so the Christian is to be a different kind of person, a person who, who holds fast to the union that they have with God. And because we hold fast to that union that we have with God, there is no fear of today or tomorrow or the day after. There is no fear of who becomes president. There's no fear of who becomes, comes into office. There's no fear of whether the stock market crashes or doesn't crash, whether things go really well or go really poorly because we have trust in God, that is peace. That is peace. Without it, um, I submit to you that there isn't peace, that there can only possibly be concern uh, and fear. And so we have been given a great gift, and we should hold on to it and revel in it. And the second thing that I would say is that, oh, my thing died. Um, is that there is a mystical portion of this. You remember Jesus saying uh, in, Matthew, or in John chapter 15, he describes life uh, being like a branch. God, he says, I'm, I'm, I am the branch, or I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything at all. Now, certainly there is a practical dimension to this. Jesus says specifically, and this in some ways refers to obeying, to keeping, to remembering, to following, to practicing his commandments. But it has more to do with that. If you know anything about horticulture, you know that there are vital nutrients that are passing between the vine and between the branches that keep the branch alive and allow it to bear the kind of fruit that allows it to be picked and, 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 and enjoyed by people. In the same way, Jesus says, you have to be connected and unified to me and we do not have the words the mechanics to describe what will happen or how all of that takes place it talks about the spirit being in us quantify that for me 
I can't, right? I mean, there are areas that we just don't, we don't have the mechanics. We can't describe it. I can't put it down on the diagram and say, well, it's like this. I can point to you and say, listen, there are ways that we can engender that in our lives. We can cultivate that in our lives through scripture, through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, through spending time with one another and being careful who pours into our lives, through finding good, rich, spiritual, uh, mature books. Um, and, 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 of course, primarily, through prayer, we can connect to God, but the connection there is a mystical connection. It's a mystery. But this is true, and what I have found uh, true to be in my own life, and those of you who, uh, who are uh, mature in the faith, I think will agree with me, that I can't put my finger on what it's like uh, to be connected to God, but I sure know when I am, and I sure know when I'm not. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's, that is an experiential thing. And one of the things I think as Christians, especially our movement, which is sort of very left brain, like let's explain everything, lay it out, and here's the plan of salvation, X, Y, and Z, and boom, we're done. Uh, we sort of eschew the, the spiritual dimension, the, the mystical dimension. I want to encourage you not to do that. Uh, obviously, we can take this too far. Uh, we could go into, uh, into sort of a heterodox way, but sticking firmly with the scriptures and in keeping with the scriptures, there is a connection between you and between the triune God that cannot be explained. And that is also a gift. It's also really cool that you are more than the sum of your parts, that God is more than the sum of his parts, and that those two things have come together to coalesce in something beautiful. And that is you as a believer who is walking by the spirit and not by the flesh. This morning, as we kind of begin to wrap it up, I made a big long list. Because who doesn't like a big long list, right? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a short list. And so oftentimes, as we talk about the union that we have with Christ, two uh, prepositions are used, first in and second with, although I think I have it backwards, don't I? Yeah, first with and then in. So we are connected to Christ. We are sharing in Christ. Some of these are practical and make a lot of sense, and some of them are mystical. We don't have the mechanics to describe them, but here are some of them. Just a, just a random smattering. The believers dying with or dying in Jesus Christ. The believer being crucified with or in Christ. The believer being buried of course, here's a reference to baptism with or in Christ. The believers being raised with Christ in the past tense. So there, there's something that's happened in the past that says that you are already living a resurrected life. Fifth, the believers coming to life, that you are receiving life here and now in Jesus Christ. Your union with Christ allows you to receive a new life right here Right now, the believers being seated with in Christ in the heavenlies, set above this present darkness and moved into the kingdom of light, as we read in uh, this in Colossians chapter one. The believers being with or in Christ, there's there's lots of ways of talking about this, but in this life, in this life right here and now, right here and now, there is a connection between us and Jesus. The believers' eventual deliverance with or in Christ and finally the believers being with or in Christ after his death 
and in his return. So over and over again, you are exhorted and called to see this great good news that that in Jesus, you dwell. In Jesus, you are unified with God. In Jesus, dwell all gifts and life and glory. And what I'm asking you to do this week is to enjoy it, to revel in it, to hold on to it, to live in it. Finally, Romans 8, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you because those who set their mind on the spirit this is life and this is peace amen you stand with us as we sing